If you would, take your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. We'll be starting a new series of messages this morning, walking our way through this psalm over the next several weeks. Some of this is in anticipation of Our theme for Vacation Bible School coming up June 13th through the 17th uh, and our focus on the the dignity of life, uh, God making us in His image and uh, what that means and uh, then looking at even how um, our understanding of the gospel uh, comes into play. So I would uh, would encourage you to make make plans uh, to either help with us or promote it uh, to children and uh, their families, and uh, we'll, we'll have a great week together. But Psalm 8 will give us all an opportunity then to think carefully about these issues as we work our way up to it. And as you're still turning there, it really almost serves then as a, as a, a, a double function because I, you know, I would encourage you uh, in light of a text like this, and given the fact that we are in the, the political season that we are in, so primary voting going on now, uh, then of course we'll have um, election um, voting going on in November, and uh, w- would encourage you to vote, to get out and vote, and uh, make sure that as you do so, you're doing so in light of God's biblical expectations uh, for His people and uh, what what God would want in godly qualified leaders. So make that a priority. Uh, commit yourself to doing that uh, as, uh, again, as we're in the primaries and then again as, as we get closer to November. Psalm 8, we'll read the entirety of it this morning. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the fields, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, How excellent is your name in all the earth. We are living in unbelievable times. Now, that statement could be made and followed with examples of perhaps positive ideas. I might could say we live in unbelievable times because of incredible advancements in technology and, and medicine and, and the ways these have in so many different avenues benefited people. And, and while there are in fact plenty of those, that's not how I'm using it this morning. We 
live in unbelievable times. Well, we live in a time when we hear a nominee to the Supreme Court be asked the question to define the word woman to which the response is given, I can't. You can't. Not in this context. I'm not a biologist. We live in unbelievable times. Well, we live in unbelievable times when we have an assistant secretary of health claims to be a woman when he, in fact, is a man. Yet, we are to look to this man to help us understand human health. We live in unbelievable times. We live in a time where the American Academy of Pediatricians have come out in full support of even some of the most extreme forms of medical intervention among some of the youngest children among us to encourage families and doctors to decide whatever gender that child wants to be. We live in unbelievable times when a real article, not a fake article, not not a Babylon Bee article, not something intended to be parody, but when an actual article suggests there could be as many as a hundred different genders. We live in unbelievable times. And this is, these aren't the only examples, right? In fact, you might be thinking, come on, Pastor, give us the rest. I mean, we could spend the rest of the time and next Sunday and next Sunday and next Sunday and next Sunday just, just going through whatever headlines you just read this last week that you scratch your head. In fact, I was thinking this this morning. I never dreamed. 25 years ago, a budding young theologian, pastor in seminary studying the great deep truths of God's Word that I would actually quote somebody from the highest court in the land not know how to define the word woman. I never thought we'd be talking about this. Here we are. It is in unbelievable times like these that God's people need to not only hear a clear, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient word from God on these issues, but we live in a time when then God's people in both love and yet courage would be willing to thunder this truth to the ends of the earth. It is a desperate need of our day. And so this morning, we're going to begin a series of messages in a passage. It's not the only passage. In fact, we don't, we don't have enough time in a few weeks to unpack all of the passages that deal with these issues. The Bible is full of instruction on gender, on life issues, sexuality issues. The Bible's not silent on these things and what it means to be men and women 
The Bible's very clear on what the Bible says about these things, and so we should be as well. Psalm 8 is going to help us do that. Now, let me go ahead and address something. Because some of you may be thinking, not all of you, some of you may be worried, "Uh uh-oh, what's the pastor doing? Teaching the Word. Thank you, Bill. All right. Is he, sounds like he's wandering into politics here. You don't want to say that. My goodness. All right. If we're here long, it's not my fault. It's your fault. All right. First of all, what verse in the Bible says I can't talk about politics? Give me one. Because it talks about kings. It talks about kingdoms. It talks about governments. It talks about citizens. It talks about what it means to be, to be right culturally, socially, economically. You give me one verse that would forbid the man of God with the word of God standing in the pulpit to the church of God and not say the truth of it. Find me one. They're not there. But I would also say, This is not a political issue. This is a theological issue. And so I am well within my bounds then to speak very clearly to these things because these are not mere political problems or realities. In fact, these get to the heart of who God is and who people are. And that's the Bible's territory. So this morning, again, we're going we're gonna to launch a study in Psalm 8. We're going to be in this for several weeks. This, is, again, is kind of warming us up to what we're going to be talking about in VBS. Now, by the way, parents, some of you may hear this and think, oh my goodness, all right, what is he talking about in VBS? All right, not exactly some of the things we're going to be talking about. All right, in other words, it's going to be um, Genesis 1, made in the image of God. All right, it's going to be this kind of language, a Psalm 139, and, and Jesus, his own, you know, uh, acknowledgement of the dignity of man. This is the kind of thing that we'll be talking about, giving a very clear biblical um, set of teachings on what it means to be human, all right? But in our time together, and I know there are children present with us, uh, we'll go to a little bit more depth and recognize then culturally what's going on. Our focus then is going to be on, again, on Psalm 8. Psalm 8, we just read it. It's really straightforward in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it, is, it is encouraging us as God's people to worship and glorify God, to extol the excellency of the name of God, and then it's going to give us reasons for doing so. Now, in your bulletin, there are only blank lines, okay? I don't have the outline in there for this morning, but it will be up on the screen behind me, so if you'd like to take notes, you're welcome to. And what we're going to do this morning is just kind of orient ourselves briefly to Psalm 8, and then to kind of give you a, you know, a bit of a, of a preview of what's to come. Uh, and I guess we'll see what you think of it if you come again next Sunday. All right? And so that'll kind of give us an idea, give you an idea of what you can expect uh, as we unpack God's Word. So as we introduce ourselves to Psalm 8, we're going to consider three features of the psalm, kind of a way to introduce ourselves to it. Three features of the psalm, and I would encourage you in the weeks to come that you spend some time reading it, meditating upon it, thinking about these things as given to us in the, in the Word. So, number one, Psalm 8 is a song of praise. 
a bit of a letdown from the introduction thus far, right? All right, so just hold on. I mean, I get that. But that is, in fact, what it is. I just want to make sure that we understand in terms of an identifying feature of the passage. It's identified as a song of praise. Now, some of you may say, uh, and the other 149, right? And that what they all are? Well, not exactly. You know, all the psalms can be broken down into various types. We have lament psalms where the psalmist helps us wrestle with the pain and grief of life. Some of them helping us deal with, with the, the threat of persecution, the enemies to God and God's people. Some psalms are thanksgiving psalms, thanking God for whatever expressions of goodness. Often those involve a, a recitation of historical acts where God intervened among his people and provided for them. We have royal psalms, psalms that, that, that talk to us about the king and, uh, and maybe a king being installed or maybe a king victorious in battle or maybe a king going into to battle. We have prophetic psalms, psalms that take us well beyond the time of the writing, pointing us to a Savior and to Christ, psalms that, that speak deeply and richly of the Messiah. We have wisdom psalms, psalms that kind of read like Proverbs and encourage us to live a life of wisdom and, and speak to the ethic and morality that, that the Bible would encourage us to live by. And then we have songs of praise, songs, songs that are, are kind of singularly devoted to, to providing God's people with an opportunity just simply to glorify Him. And that's what Psalm 8 is. Psalm 8 is a song of praise. Maybe even more specifically, you could call it a creation song of praise. Because that, that is what's going to happen here. We're gonna, our, our attention is going to be drawn to God's created world. Right? We already noted that. Verse 1 speaks of the excellency of God's name and how He has set His glory above the heavens. He's going to talk then about out of the mouth of babes, and he's, he's going to talk about considering the, the heavens and the work of their finger, of God's fingers, and moon and stars. He's going to talk about man, creation of man, and unique dignity in which we've been made. So this is going to be the song that's going to be offered. Now, I do want to make just a comment here about what begins this. If you go back to the very beginning, to right before verse 1, how many of you in your translation have some kind of notation in between Psalm 8, title of the psalm, and then verse 1? All right? Okay. How many of you don't want to raise your hand on Sunday morning? Okay. All right. Great. Okay. It's good to know. So that little line where it says, To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. So just to orient ourselves here, and that is just what it means, this was not in the original text. This has been added. But we have found they are historically accurate. I mean, for, for all, um, all intents and purposes, we find them to be viable and reliable. Um, identifying the author of the psalm, not all of them do that because we don't know, but we do know David has written this one. We don't know when. Some of the psalms will identify like a particular historical event. This does not. The text does not. You know, some kind of have a romantic notion about the psalm. They'd like to think, here's young David out in the fields, right? The shepherd boy uh, tending to his father's flocks, 
spending the night uh, out there and, and just below the canopy of the stars that would have been above him and perhaps that then leading him to think these deep thoughts about you know, thinking about the glory of the, of the heavens and then about the nature of man. That's possible, just doesn't really say, but we do know it's a Psalm of David. But those two other references to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, probably a guitar harp-like instrument, instrument of Gath, and to the chief musician, what he is saying here, what, what the notation is saying, is to the one who would then lead God's people in worship, here's a note about it. It, 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 it is designed or would be best used with this kind of instrument. Now, here's why I bring this up, because you maybe think, Pastor, is this one of those times where you say stuff to show us that you study during the week? All right, so why, what is this? Why does this even matter? I think it's a good opportunity to bring this point up about the Psalms, because modern evangelicalism has often treated the Psalms as if it is your own personal private book of devotions. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Psalms devotionally. You should. I would encourage you to use them. They should be a a healthy part of your biblical intake diet. But you do know, historically speaking, the fact that you can go home and you could read all 150 of the Psalms every day is a blessing that a large majority of Christians or God's people have not enjoyed. What I mean by that, it's only been since the printing press, and really over the last few hundred years, that, that we've had books in our hands. So why do I bring this up? Well, just as a reminder to us, these songs were designed to be sung, recited, and proclaimed together as God's people. That's why congregational worship matters so much to us. That's why it's a big deal. Pastor John and myself, that's why we want songs that are singable. Because we think that is the point. That's why we turn the lights on. Because we think that an important part of this service is you. And we think it's important for... Now, some of you aren't going to like this. It's important for some of your neighbors to hear you singing. I know some of you are saying, oh, they don't want to hear me sing. (laughs) If I know your story, if I know that God in His grace has ripped you out of the depths of depravity and resurrected you to the glories of being in Christ, then yes, I want to hear you sing no matter how off-key, how excellent is thy name. I want to hear it. And you should be able to hear me. This is how these things are designed. So it's just another opportunity. It's a bit of a digression and, 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 a, and a bit of a nod here for Pastor John. This is why we do this. And this is why we care very much, not so much about the style of the music, but that it's singable and that it's rich in theology about God and His gospel. And if we give you that, you should be able to leave here having worshipped God your Creator. All right? So it is a song of praise designed for God's people to sing together. Number two, though, it is a song of praise that proclaims the glory of God in creation. Again, just, just as, as we noted, it, it, is a, it, is, it focuses particularly uh, on what God has done creating the heavens and then specifically on His creation of mankind. 
Now, I will go ahead and give you a heads up. Next week, as we get to verse 2, perhaps next week, get to verse 2. I should say it that way, all right? See, we will take time to reflect on this. Notice what what David does. It's really profound. In verse 1, he has us at that which is above the heavens, right? Your glory is, it's not equal to the heavens, it's above the heavens. For whatever glory you think is in the heavens, this is greater still. And then what does he do? This is brilliant. He then drops us down to little bitty babies. In other words, the excellency of God's glory can be sung at a level that's even beyond your ability to access it, right? It sits above the heavens, and yet it is the same song that you hear in the cooing of a little bitty baby. And so so David is then going to go on to say, and that's an embarrassment to the enemies of God, that from the smallest among us, to all the way to the most majestic parts of what we perceive anyway to be the most projected, the most incredible parts of our, of God's creation declares then the glory and the excellencies of God. So he takes us from the top to the bottom, back up to the top again. Verse three, he's going to say, I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, moon, stars, which you have ordained. So, so part of, part of this song is going to encourage us then to think deep and then also big thoughts about how God has created. And I'll then also go ahead and tell you that in verse 2, we will then speak to the sanctity of human life. And we'll speak to the sanctity of human life in the weeks to come from conception to grave. We should be consistent from beginning to end. Not just beginning, but that's a really big deal. It's an important part, but we, sh- we should also value life at every stage of life, right? In the womb, out of the womb, to the very end of days, we, we should extol this. And so we'll, we'll reflect on that then as we get to that verse. So, so as, we, as we work our way through this, we'll consider this song of praise and how it proclaims glory to God. Then we'll get on to number three. And that is a song of praise that proclaims the glory of God in mankind. So notice this, this transition here in verse three, verse, verse four, from three to four. So David, again, has taken us back up to the heavens. He's reflecting on, on what is the, the immensity of creation. And then he asks the question in verse 4. In light of this, in, in light of, of what, is, what, what is a universe in size that is beyond our comprehension, right? What is man? I would really contend that verse 4, and we're going we're gonna to spend time on this as we work our way to it and from it. <laughs> there are three questions here. These aren't on your notes or even on the screen, but this, this is critical. David is really drawing our attention to three questions. What is man? What does it mean to be human? What is man that you are mindful of him? Why does a sovereign, glorious, magnificent God even give a second of his time to thinking about me? He has thoughts about you. He thinks about it. Why is God mindful of me? And then there's the third question. The son of man that you would visit him. And other translations will use language like that you would care for him, 
This course takes us straight to the gospel itself, right? Not only what is man, and what is man that God thinks thoughts about man, that he's mindful of us, attends to us, but what, what is it then about man that, that even leads God to visiting us, to caring for us, in other words, to intervening to save? Why? The psalm then encourages us to think about these things so that we might understand why this matters so much. In fact, we we really see two ideas emphasized here about mankind. In this, we see the, the, the focus on the nature of man, mankind's nature. So he's, he's going to ask the question, who, who, are, who, who is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? Verse 5 is going to say, you've made him a little lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with glory and honor. This is, this is a pretty big deal. Because part of what we're going to be making sure we emphasize is what it means to be made in the image of God. In other words, as David reflects then on on the glory and the splendor of the heavens, he then comes to this and says, but man is crowned with glory and honor. That, That... Listen, whatever you've seen in nature, whatever you've seen in creation, whatever you could observe in the vastness and greatness of the universe that God has made, we have to recognize that when God brought creation to its climactic end, on the sixth day, God did not create beautiful sunsets. On the sixth day, God did not create majestic vistas over the top of mountains. On the sixth day, God did not create the power of roaring oceans. On the sixth day, the triune God convened and said, let us now make man in our own image. And then he said, male and female. So let me say, I am not a biologist. Hold on. But I don't have to be. Because I can read and I can see. So I know the difference. Right? Maybe I could be a Supreme Court justice. All right. Boy, wouldn't that be something. <laughs> so, so the nature of man described as being the one crowned with glory and honor. This is the pinnacle of God's creation. And then it then talks about man's responsibility. In verse 6, you've made him to have dominion. So we will spend time talking about what God has done to establish us as stewards of creation. God expects us to have dominion over these things. And of course, we'll, we'll look at this, by the way, in light of what is our inherited nature from Adam, right? Our fallenness, our sin nature, and, and, and how does this come into play? And what, what does this mean then for us, then as God's people who have been refashioned in the image of Christ? So we'll, we'll look then carefully at what it means when God has given humanity responsibility. Then I love how in verse 9 it just comes back with the same tag because this then is what's showing us the fundamental point of the verse of the whole text. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So what this is suggesting here, 
This is driving us then to what is fundamental. And, and, and that is the nature of God to glorify himself in the earth and then the way in which God is uniquely expressing his glory through mankind. The way he did it on the sixth day, the way then he does that through saving us from the curse of sin and death and refashioning us into the image of Christ to one day be in the fullness of that and glory to come. That this then is drawing our attention to what is this great work of God's glory. Glory that is reflected in mankind. This takes us again just to the, to the heart of the gospel itself. Because when we think these kinds of lofty thoughts, I mean, we are reminded that God's work of salvation, the fact that Jesus bore God's wrath on the cross, this was not for the sins of your pet. This was not for the fields of the earth. This, this was not for other elements of creation. Jesus bore God's wrath against your sin. And that is a profound act of love and grace. If you ever wondered about the dignity and value of humanity, look no further than the cross itself. Because this illustrates it as much as anything. What God thinks about men and women. God's own grace speaks volumes to our dignity. And so here's how we're going to conclude this morning. Just as a reminder to us about what our ultimate value is and where our ultimate value rests and the fact that our ultimate value does not rest in what others think about us or even what we think about ourselves. Our value is in relation to God being made in His image and to God's glory. And it's an even greater kind of dignity and significance and value because God intervened and in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the value then is found in the fact that through God's saving work, we can now be those who glorify Him. We can sing Psalm 8, not because we in and of ourselves are capable, but because God has made us true worshipers in Christ Jesus. We can proclaim the excellencies of the name of our God because of what that excellent God has done for us. And so for the moms here today, let me encourage you. And, and I, I know I'm walking on thin ice here as a man trying to encourage women, all right? But I, I, I also recognize, I feel kind of a burden and a pressure here. This is my first Mother's Day without my mother in this earth. But this is my mother's best Mother's Day of all time, all right? This is the first time I do not have her. And here's what I know she would want me to say to you mothers. Your ultimate value is not found in your relationship to your children, in your relationship to your husbands. Your ultimate value is not measured against other mothers. It's not even measured against your own mother. Your value does not come from being busier than other moms, for being a part of what John Roseman calls the, the good mommy club 
job. Your value is not found in any of those. Your value is found in your relation to your creator. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You are knit together in your mother's womb, and you have been given a high calling, made in the image of God, entrusted with the rearing of children. But we need to stop just rearing children. We need to raise men and women who love God, who love his church, who are committed to the gospel. That's what we need. And so be encouraged, mothers. You can do that regardless of what the world tells you. That's who you're designed to be. But let me just go on. Listen, to to those who are here today, and I prayed about it in my prayer, I understand today can be difficult. It can be difficult for those who perhaps have lost a mother. It can be difficult for those perhaps who are not. Let me encourage you that your relationship to children is not what determines your ultimate value. We need women who reflect what God's Word says is the standard for women. And we need you. And listen, the mothers here who have daughters, they need you to reflect what godly womanhood looks like. But listen, men, you're not getting out of this because they need us as well, whether fathers or not. The world needs to see godly men acting like men, being virtuous men, loving their wives as Christ loved the church, being willing to serve for the sake of the gospel. What has happened that we live in a world where God's people remain silent out of fear? We need to shout it from the mountaintops what God has designed us to be. Let us be the people of God, faithful to God, living to the glory of God. You all made this go long. So let us rejoice in what God has done. And let me encourage you, we will talk about this again in the weeks to come. Part of what I think we should do with one another as much as I understand the bemoaning, and I've spent a lot of time bemoaning, and there's probably going to be other bemoaning to come, of the condition of our culture, let us, though, also speak to the goodness and glory of God, His ultimate sovereignty, that nothing is out of whack as far as God is concerned. It's not out of control. God's plan will be fulfilled. Let us speak boldly, and let us speak hopefully about the ultimate work of God to bring all of this to His designed end, and a return of our Savior, and a return to all things as God intended for them to be. And so, in the meantime, time, let us be faithful men and women of God, created as a dignified creation of God, recreated then as sons and daughters of the living God, and let us live for His glory. And if you are here today, and you do not know this Savior, if you've never trusted in Christ, then that's what I would implore you to do, that you would leave this time believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing that you are a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and asking God to save you based on what Christ and Christ alone has done. Trust in the saving work of a sufficient Savior. If you want to know more about that, the pastors will be down front. We'd love an opportunity to share that with you, to let you know more about what it means to believe in Christ. But to believers, let us live faithfully in these days, trusting that God will accomplish His good and gracious purposes and all for His glory. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and then we will sing, continuing to sing about the goodness of God and His saving work on our behalf. Father God, we do thank You for the gathering of Your church. We thank you for the privilege of being able to join together, not only heart and mind, but then in voice, together, and and in a way that, that we can then praise you to proclaim your greatness. Our great creator God, 
who have made us in your image. Let us be a people then who will forever sing these truths. And may, may they be reflected in our lives. May, 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 they, may they be upon our lips as we seek to be your people doing your work and for your glory. And we pray that you by your spirit would continue to bring your word to bear on our lives that we might respond to it in faith and obedience. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.